is your faith this morning. But when the sun came up, because life happens, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Are you feeling choked out this morning? Like, you're like, man, I got so much to do. I don't know if I have enough breathing space to really live as a disciple. Man, I got school, I got work, I got family, I got bills to pay, mouths to feed. I don't know if I have time. My time has been too choked out to have my quiet time today. My time is too choked out to share my faith and bring people to Jesus today. They were choked. Verse 8. Still other seed fell on good soil and came up and grew and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. You know, Jesus is right when he says no one's good but God in heaven. So when Jesus says good, he means good. A good soil. The greatest thing you could ever accomplish in life is to be seen as good in God's eyes. You don't need to be spectacular. You don't need to be awesome. You don't need to be cataclysmic or incredible. Let's just strive in God's eyes to be good. Are you good soil this morning? Then Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. When he was alone, the twelve and the others, not just the twelve around him, asked him about the parables. He told them the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, to the twelve, to the others, to the small few. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables so that... They may be ever seeing, but never perceiving, never hearing, but never understanding. Otherwise, they may turn and be forgiven. If they would just turn, for God's sake, literally, if they would just turn, they would be forgiven. Then Jesus said to them, don't you understand this parable? Pause right there. You know, for the longest time, I wondered why Jesus spoke in riddles. Like, why didn't Jesus just tell people plainly? Why wasn't he straightforward about it? And for years and years and years, I pondered this very simple question. Why wasn't Jesus more direct? And, and looking into different commentators, it's hilarious how, how people who are religiously studied could come up with garbage answers. Like, well, when the Bible says parable, it doesn't really mean parable. It means kind of like a, a poem in a way. Well, when it says riddle, it doesn't really mean riddle. No, it, it, it means riddle. So why would Jesus speak in riddles? It's very simple. Who did Jesus give the answer of his riddle to? To those around him. To the twelve. Amen. Jesus only chose twelve. But then it was the others. So, amen, maybe I can't be a 12. Maybe I'm not an apostle. But I can be another. See, what was required of an individual to hear the answer to this riddle? The answer to this riddle? Simple. Ask. If you were simply around Jesus and you asked him for the answer, he would have given it to you. The secret of the kingdom of God is given to those who ask. And what saddens my heart is how many people came to church in the thousands and simply neglected to ask. That was all they needed. Their faith was so shallow that they expected to be spoon-fed. Uh, to, to be spoon-fed. Spoon-fed. That's a new word. To be spoon-fed by the Son of God himself. As if to say, I know, God, that you came down from heaven to earth, but can you do me a little bit extra? Can you put it in my mouth? See, what Jesus is looking for is people who truly want to find the answer. People who are looking. Are you one of those around Jesus this morning? Or are you expecting God to give you more of a sign than his holy Bible? Are you asking 
God? Are you seeking God? Are you looking for the answers? Or are you just simply looking for God to make your life more convenient for you? But let's check out this parable. Jesus said to them in verse 13, Don't you understand this parable? I love that. It's like, man, I know these guys don't understand, but, but man, you guys are my homies. You're my 12. You're my inner circle. How do you not understand this parable? And the funny thing is, when I first read this, I didn't know the answer to this riddle. I didn't even know. I'm like, man, Peter, what a buffoon. Yeah, Peter actually knew more than I did. Okay. Jesus gives them the answer. Check this out. And this is the reason why I want to read this parable. Don't you understand this parable? How then? If you don't understand this parable, how then will you understand any parable? Wow. We'll come back to that. Okay. The farmer sows uh, the, uh, the farmer sows the word. So the seed is the word of God. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seeds sown in rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. They're fired up. I'm so grateful to be studying the Bible. I'm so grateful to be at church. This is so cool. Wow. This group, you guys are all equally committed. You all really know your Bible? You're telling me like when you guys get together on uh, Sunday service, you guys are all singing together? You guys, every day you pray, you fellowship? This is amazing. You're fired up. But then what happens? It says, as, uh, what does it say? Um, as soon as they hear it, Satan comes, takes away the, the word that was sown in them. Others like soil sown on rocky places, sorry. Uh, verse 17. But since they have no root, no depth in their faith, they're shallow with God, shallow with themselves, shallow with people. They last only a short while. How many people have seen come to church and never come back to church again? How many people like would give our church like a Yelp rating of like six stars? Right? There's only five stars, right? But they're like, they just love service. They're fired up. They receive the fellowship. They receive the word with joy. But then they never come back. Why? It's simple. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word. But the worries of this life, how worried have you been recently? The deceitfulness of wealth. How much are you pursuing wealth? I appreciate what Dylan shared uh, earlier today. And and I love this scripture. I know some of us uh, know uh, Dylan uh, a bit better than others. There he is. Um, Dylan pursued Ecclesiastes too. Like he literally built himself two houses. This brother literally is a window cleaner. He's planting his vineyards. He has everything at his age. Like he's got life by the horns. And he realized it's all meaningless. How deceiving wealth and the accumulation of things can be but also things that choke. Check this out. And simply, the end of verse 19, the desires for other things. What's the other things? Things other than God. Anything other than God. Desires for those things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Again, this morning we're talking about being fruitful. Other seed, sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop. Some 30, some 60, some a hundred times what was sown. You know, I love what Jesus says. He says, if you do not understand this parable, how then will you understand any parable? How will you understand anything? This parable is as simple as it gets. It's the key to understanding all the other parables. The title of my lesson this morning is The Parable of All Parables. The parable of all parables. It's like the master key 
It's like the key in God's house that opens up all the doors. At the same time, if we cannot understand, if we cannot discern, if we don't know how to accept or apply this parable, Jesus is like, good luck. If you can't understand this, how can you understand anything? And Jesus talks about four soils. The, the soil that represents a hardened heart toward God. He talks about the shallow soil. There's a, a soil, a heart that's just shallow with God. You're so superficial in the way you live. They're like, you look just like your Facebook page. Your life looks just like your Instagram page. There's no depth to it in your relationship with God or others. He talks about the thorny soil. The soil that's simply distracted in your life. You're being choked out. You have so much potential, but you're not meeting it spiritually. And then finally, amen, there's the good soil. Amen. If you cannot understand this parable, if we as a family, as friends, as people, if we cannot understand what a hard heart looks like, you cannot understand anything. If you cannot understand what a shallow faith looks like, you can't understand anything. If you can't understand what a distracted soul looks like, you can't understand a thing. But Jesus says, if you don't understand what it means to have a fruitful life, you won't understand anything. This morning, let's talk about the parable of parables. I got four quick points for us this morning. Point number one, talking about the four soils. Point number one, the heart that needs softening. The heart that needs softening. Point number two, the faith that needs deepening. The word need, essential, necessity. It needs to be deepened. Point number three, the soul that needs trimming. There are too many thorns, too many weeds in your life. Just cut them out. The soul that needs trimming. And finally, point number four, and this is where I pray we all end up, at least eventually, prayerfully this morning. Point number four, the life that is simply fruitful. You're just simply, you're just good. That's enough. I just want to be good in the eyes of God. I simply want to be fruitful. Point number one, the heart that needs softening. You know, it's interesting that in the parable that Jesus talks about, the idea is that God sends his word. He sends his word through people. He sends his word to you through us. Like, like whatever way God can, he sends his word to your heart. But the Bible says that Satan immediately takes it away. Well, how is Satan able to take God's word, God's word, away from a person? Well, it's simple. Jesus, in John chapter 8, verse 31, it says, If you hold to my teaching, you're my disciple. See, the only reason why Satan is able to take God's word away from you is because you're not holding on to it. you got to hold on to it hard. Alex, you want to borrow your pen? If somebody had said, hey, Festus, hold on to this pen, what would you do? Shame, hold on to this pen. I said hold on to the pen. So awesome Jesus power. says, hold on. That was, that was awesome power. If Jesus, you can let go. <laughs> if Jesus says, hold on to this pen, what is Satan going to try to make you do? Let go. Let go. Look, it's the Goodyear blimp. Right? Look, your credit score is going up. Hey, look, you got a bunch of tests in university this week. Satan will do whatever he can to take your eyes off of Jesus, simply so you let go of God's word. I want to ask a, maybe a funny question. How often do you actually carry the Bible with you throughout the week? Some of them. Great job. You know, it's interesting how close we are to God's physical Bible. That's how close we are to God's Word. Because God's Bible is His Word. You know, I know for me, this isn't my cell phone. But one thing, you'll, you'll never see me without my cell phone. If I'm without my cell phone, I'm practically lost in outer space. Like, I don't know what to do without my cell phone. But a lot of us are more attached to our cell phones than we are to God's Word. Like, let me tell you, there's some pretty important phone calls that happen on this cell phone. But there ain't no more important conversation to be had 
than the one God's already trying to have with you? Are you holding on to God's word? You know, I've been reading the book of Psalms recently. Let's go to Psalm 119. The book of Psalms. Uh, I was uh, challenged, uh, I don't know, a year and a half ago uh, by uh, our father in the faith, Gislaine, uh, uh, to just read the book of Psalms. Uh, I'm a very emotional man, and I'm secure about it, doggone it. Right? I'm very emotional. And so was David. And Gislaine knew that. So uh, Gislaine was like, Kevin, why don't you spend some time with David? <laughs> Be emotional like David. Read the book of Psalms. And recently I've been reading the book of Psalms. And earlier this week, I think it was on Wednesday or Thursday, I read through Psalm 119. And let me tell you, if you want to read a single passage in the Bible, a, a, a chapter, Psalm 119, it is loaded. Loaded. And the reason why I wanted to turn there this morning is because there is nothing that will soften your heart other than the Word of God. Amen. See, if you want your heart to be soft and you don't read your Bible, good luck. Even God can't help you. Like he sent us his word so that our heart would be soft. And I love Psalm 119 in particular because it's all about the love of God's word. How awesome it is. Psalm 119, verse 57. Again, the heart that needs softening. Starting in verse 57. There's a lot of verses in this one. There we go. If you ever read Psalm 119, you might as well just like, it's like basically two short books of the Bible. It's a long chapter. So Psalm 119, verse 57. The psalmist says here in verse 57, You are my portion, Lord. I have promised to obey your words. Are you obeying God's words this morning? See, some people say, well, I don't like to break promises here. I, I like to be a man of my word. Well, I like to be a man of God's word. I don't like to break God's word. Are you more a man of God's word than you are of your word? Or do you prefer to keep your promises over God's promises? Amen. Let's be men and women of our word, but let's be men and women of God's word, more importantly. Amen, guys? I have sought, verse 58, I have sought your face with all my heart. Simple question. Can you honestly say that? Can you, honest to God, honest to yourself, honest to others, can you say that you seek God's face with all your heart? If you haven't, you're missing out. You're missing out. Life is so beautiful when you seek God's face with all your heart. Amen, guys? Yeah. Keeps going. Verse 59. I have considered my ways. We'll come back to that later on in the lesson. I have considered my ways and have turned my steps to your statutes. I will hasten and not delay to obey your commands. I will hasten. I'm going to hurry up. Hey, guys, sorry. I'm late. I, I got to hurry up and obey God's word. You know, there's an old preacher story of Satan up and, uh, not up and down in, right? Satan down in hell, trying to come up with a new creative way for his demons to deceive the human race. So Satan talks to some of his chief angels, and none of them come up with a good enough idea. But finally, one of Satan's chief demons comes up to him and says, Hey, Satan, I think I got an idea that you're going to love. Something that will absolutely, it's a surefire way to keep people from getting into heaven. Satan's like, oh boy, all right, let's hear your idea. Satan, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go up to earth. I'm going to tell people the truth. I'm going to tell people they need to fear God. I'm going to tell people that they need to obey the Bible. But to do that tomorrow. I'm going to tell them everything they need to know, but I'm going to tell them they don't need to worry about it right now. And then when tomorrow comes, the sun comes up, I'll tell them again. These are all things you need to do. But it could wait another day. 
They go to sleep, wake up again. Yeah, yeah, these things are super important, man. You gotta repent. You gotta get right with God. You gotta get baptized. But, but let's try again tomorrow. Day after day, we procrastinate our own salvation to hell. But what does it mean to have a softened heart? It's simple. A heart that says, I will hasten and not delay to obey God's commands. You know, Aristotle, the uh, ancient Greek philosopher, once said, the unexamined life is not worth living. So why are you living? Why are you taking up oxygen? You don't even know. You're not a conscious human being. What are you doing? A, a reprise of that statement by Aristotle, I believe as a Christian, the unexamined faith is not worth believing. Have you considered your ways? Where are they heading you? A heart that needs softening. I believe that unfortunately many people just simply do not consider their ways. They just do not think about what is and what is not being done in their life. See, a hardened heart is simply someone who is not in love with God's word. Someone who delays in obeying it. How soft is your heart this morning? In other words, how ready, excited, eager are you to obey God's word? If there's hesitation there, I plead with you. Throw it out the window. It ain't going to do you any good. Let's be in love with God. Let's be in love with His Son, Jesus. Let's be in love with the cross. Let's be in love with God's word. Let's soften our hearts and hasten to obey God's word. You guys with me still? Yeah. Point number two. The second soil. The faith that needs deepening. You need to deepen your faith. Let's go to Mark chapter 6. Now, earlier this week, I think again it was like on Wednesday or Thursday, I, I read uh, this passage. Uh, many of us uh, may be familiar with the character in the Bible, uh, King Herod. Right? King Herod was the king uh, during uh, uh, Jesus' life on earth. Um, king Herod was also the person who beheaded John the Baptist. And it's so curious to me and scary how these, these evil people, quote-unquote, in the Bible can be so relatable to us. But oh my gosh, we got to be careful. Mark chapter 6, verse 14. We're going to read the story here of King Herod. And sometimes I think I can have a false perspective of these humans, even these bad humans in the Bible. And what fascinates me, again, for those of us who may or may not know, Herod killed John the Baptist, the last living prophet before Jesus. And I used to think that Herod was just ticked off with this guy. Man, I cannot wait to kill John the Baptist. How could he, how could he do that? Preaching those things and calling people to pray. God just grates me. I can't wait for him to die. But that wasn't actually Herod's heart. Herod loved John the Baptist. Check this out. Mark chapter 6, verse 14. King Herod heard about this, for Jesus' name had become well known. So Herod was hearing about Jesus. Some were saying, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. Well, that's a weird thing to say. That would mean that John the Baptist must have died. Yep. And that is, uh, uh, been raised from the dead. And that is why miraculous powers are at work in him. Others said he's Elijah. And still others claimed he is a prophet like one of the other prophets long ago. But when Herod heard this, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised from the dead. For Herod himself had uh, given orders to have John arrested, and he had him bound and put in prison. He did this because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, whom he had married. That's weird. Yeah. <laughs> For John had been saying to Herod, John had been rebuking Herod, calling him to repent. He told Herod, it is not lawful, unrighteous. For you to have your brother's wife. So Herodias nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill him. 
But she, that's Herodias, Herod's now wife, was not able to. Why? Why was the wife not able to kill John? Because Herod feared John and even protected John, knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. When Herod heard John, he listened to John's sermons. He came to John's Sunday service. He was greatly puzzled, yet he liked to listen to him. Finally, the opportune time came. The end of the story is Herod beheads John. This blew my mind. Herod liked John. I mean, if there was a, if there was a, a preacher's podcast that he listened to, it was John's podcast. Like, he'd always be like, hey, how's John doing? Is church growing? Awesome, that's great to hear, man. That guy, man, he says some things that are really hard to hear, but like, kind of like, wow, that's so curious. It makes me feel kind of like hyped up a little bit. It's like, yeah, you go, John. You're a righteous man. He protected John. And yet, Herod himself was completely unwilling to change. So many people are like Herod. They love going to church. They love hearing people preach about Jesus. And they're even willing to say, hey, I know that guy. He's a righteous man. That man's a Christian. But what they completely fail to grasp is that they themselves are not right in God's eyes. Coming to church doesn't make us right with God. Even reading the Bible doesn't make us right with God. Praying doesn't make us right with God. It's doing the will of the Father that makes us righteous in God's eyes. You know, Herod enjoyed John's preaching. Herod believed John was righteous. Herod believed that what John was saying was absolutely true. And yet Herod did not change himself or what he was doing. And the result was Herod, with his own words, by his own command, was the only one who put John the Baptist to death. You know, I believe some of the worst persecution to Christianity comes from people who currently go to church. A bunch of Herods stabbing John in the back. Why? It's not because they don't like what they hear. It's because they don't like doing what they hear. How deep is your faith this morning? I want to be very clear to all of us. As a friend, I plead with you. I pray that you enjoy today's service. True. I pray you enjoy more doing what you hear in today's service. Let's be like John the Baptist. Let's be like Jesus. And let's not be like Herod. A faith that needs to be deepened. Point number three, the soul that needs trimming. Let's go back to Mark chapter six. I'm sorry, uh, uh, was it Mark chapter four? Mark chapter four. Let's check this out. The thorny soil. You guys still with me? Yeah. Verse 18. Still others. Again, the third soil. The soul that needs trimming. The third soil still is like seed sown among thorns who hear the word. Sorry. Who hear the word. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire for other things come and simply make it unfruitful. You know, there are three things, three criteria that would put somebody in this category. Somebody who's consumed with the worries of this life. Or somebody who's consumed with the deceitfulness of wealth. They're just pursuing money. And they have no idea where it's leading them. They're deceived. And finally, somebody who's consumed with simply the desire for other things. You know, I'll never forget uh, 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 a couple months ago, I was studying with a, a, young, a young man, an individual at York University. 
And in these studies, he, he was agreeing with everything that was saying. He's even making certain changes in his life. But after studying the Bible with him for weeks, I'm like, man, I sat down and I was honest with this kid. I'm like, hey, Camsey, I'll be real with you. I know you're making certain changes, but you are just not excited about making these changes. It's almost as if you're obeying Jesus grudgingly. You're not happily doing them. You don't desire to be like Jesus, almost as if you're doing them under compulsion. And it hit me. I'm like, Camsey, you don't actually, you're not in love with God. You're not eager to do good. And so I talked to one of the uh, other uh, older brothers in the, in the service, uh, sorry, in the church, and I was trying to get help uh, from this brother on how to help this young individual really flourish in his faith and really become a Christian. And, and so I shared with this brother, I'm like, it just seems like this guy is just not in love with God. And I'll never forget it. Evan said this. Evan said that his issue wasn't that he didn't love God per se, but that there was some other thing that he loved instead of God. And when I found out what that other thing was, it was as clear as day. And he walked away from God. Because at the end of the day, he didn't want to give up his love for other things. And from that day on, I gained a deep conviction. If we're struggling with our love for God, if we're not excited to spend time with God and his word every day, if we're not excited to talk to, about, uh, to people about Jesus every day, if we're not excited to come to church, it's simple. It's because there's something else we'd rather do. What is that thing that you would rather do? Uh, I'll never forget my wife, Brittany. She's incredible. She's awesome. I love her. Um, she, she, I remember one time she shared this with me, is when she studies the Bible with young women uh, in terms of seeking first God's kingdom, making God and his people the number one priority of, her, uh, of their life. I'll never forget this practical to help illuminate to people what their real heart issue is. So she'll ask them a question. You know, when you're stuck in a hard decision to make, ask yourself, I really want to go to church, but I need to study for school. Whatever comes after the but is what you're choosing to idolize. That's the thing you love more than God. You know, I really should read my Bible, but I have schoolwork to do. You're choosing to love schoolwork over reading your Bible. I really should evangelize to that person right now, but I'm tired. You prefer your comfort and selfish desires, other things, over evangelizing and talking about Jesus. I really should give my weekly contribution, but whatever follows immediately after in that sentence, that's the other thing wow, great point. that will literally drag you into the thorns and make your life unenjoyable, unhappy, and simply yeah. unfruitful. You know, as human beings, we all desire things, as we should. The question is, is what do you desire? As human beings, we understand what it means to deny ourselves. People do it all the time. During finals week for college students, they deny themselves all sorts of sleep. Why? Because of finals. We deny ourselves time, precious moments with our family for work. We deny ourselves years of life to make money. So we understand what it means to deny ourselves for school, for uh, physical fitness, for savings, for, for uh, parenting our children. The question is, what are you denying yourself for other than Jesus? Let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. See, the Bible here, Jesus says, it's the desire for other things. Well, what does God desire? What is the fruit that God wants in my life? 1 Timothy chapter 2. I, I pray that this means something to you this morning. I pray that it means something so incredible that it's willing to make you change. 1 Timothy chapter 3. Sorry, 1 Timothy chapter 2. 
Verse 3. What is God's will? What does God want? We can want things, but what does our Heavenly Father want? 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3. This is so good, I'm going to wait here just to make sure we're all there. Amen. What does God want? 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3. This is good. There it is. Good soil. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. See, does God want you to go to school? Absolutely. Does God want you to graduate with a degree and get a career? Absolutely. But what does he want for you more than that? To be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Does God want you to be married? Of course he wants you to be married. But what does he want more than that? For you to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Does God want you to be happy in your life? Absolutely he wants that. But what does he want more than even your own happiness? For you to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Do you desire, again a mirror, do you desire so much to be saved that you're willing to put aside all the other things in your life simply to have the knowledge of God's truth? Sometimes we don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I want to give you this formula for helping you know what to do. In certain decisions, if you're given the option between making two different choices and you ask yourself, I don't know what to do, I ask you, which choice requires more faith? I don't know what to do. Should I study for school or should I go to church this morning? Which choice requires more faith? The one that requires more faith, choose that one. Which choice is more spiritual? Whatever choice is more spiritual, choose that one. I, I don't know who to fellowship with or, or, or where to go to church or, 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 or which group to be a part of. I ask you this question. Which one is going to help you grow to be the best disciple? And whichever choice will help you best grow to become a disciple, choose that one. You know, in Psalm verse, uh, chapter 10, verse 4, you don't have to turn there. The Bible reads, In his pride, the wicked man does not seek God. In all his thoughts, there is no room for God. At the end of the day, I want us to go on a spiritual diet. Cut out all, all, cut out all the other things that are keeping you, choking your faith for becoming a disciple of God. The soul that needs trimming. Finally, point number four. We've arrived. The life that is simply fruitful. The life that is fruitful. I believe that the Bible is meant to be simple. But people in religion complicate and confuse things. God gave us his Bible to clarify into simple things in our life. You know, it's very simple. Being fruitful. Jesus talks about being fruitful. What does a banana tree produce? Bananas. What does an apple tree produce? Apples. What do cows produce? Milk. Cows. Thank you. Yes. Cows produce cows. Thank you. What He was joking, guys. He was he was joking. Right. What do orange trees produce? What? Good lord. What does a disciple produce? Disciples. Are you producing disciples in your life? That's the question. You guys, at the end of the day, if we're not producing more disciples, we are an unfruitful soil. 
You know, it fascinates me that sometimes uh, quote-unquote religious scholars will debate this passage and ask, hey, which, oh, yes. which soil is unsaved? You know, we know that, amen, the hardened path, they're unsaved. The shallow soil, they're unsaved because they don't produce anything. But, but the third soil, I, I, I mean, I don't know if they're saved or, or, or unsaved because, I mean, they're producing things, but they're not producing fruit. Well, it's very simple. What does Jesus do with unfruitful things? He destroys them. He cuts them off. He will prune them to make them fruitful. But parable after parable, passage after passage, Jesus, if you do not produce the fruit you were created for, you will be thrown into the fire. So how much of these soils were unfruitful? Three of them. How many of these soils were unsaved? Three of them. Which soil was fruitful? One of them. Which soil was saved? One of them. Why? Simple. Because they produced what they were meant to produce. You guys with me? Let's go to John chapter 15. I'd like to close out here for us. John 15. I pray that this morning you can go after finding out which soil you are. And I believe that if you really find out the soil that you are, you won't need anybody to tell you to take it seriously. I think, again, the issue is that people do not consider their ways of life. John chapter 15, verse 8. Jesus says plainly, This is to my Father's glory. How can we glorify God? I want to glorify God. That you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So you show yourself as a disciple by bearing fruit. How does an apple tree show itself as an apple tree? By bearing apples. How does an orange tree show itself as an orange tree? By producing oranges. How does a disciple show itself as a disciple? By bearing disciples. He goes on in verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. Awesome. That sounds nice. Cute and cuddly. Comfortable. Let's remain in Jesus' love. But how do we stay in Jesus' love? Which, by the way, kind of implies the fact that, like, if you do nothing, you fall out of Jesus' love. Almost as if to say Jesus' love is moving. And you have to stay in his love. How do we stay in his love? Verse 10. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. We can say we love Jesus. But if we're not obeying his commands, we do not, in fact, love Jesus. See, the life that is fruitful is a life full of making disciples, a life full of joy, a life full of peace, a life full of patience and kindness and tenderness and self-control and love, a life full of studying the Bible with people, a life full of evangelism, a life full of making disciples, bearing much fruit. You know, this morning... If you're not producing the crop that God wants you to produce, it's plain and simple, then you're not the good soil. If you do not know the kind of crop that you are producing, <laughs> or if you do not know the, the crop God wants you to produce, then you are not on good soil. And even though each soil does represent different people, different people's responses, in many ways, if I'm honest with myself, there are different areas of my life that are hard. There are different areas of my life that are shallow. There are different areas of my life that just get choked out by the worries, the deceitfulness, uh, deceitfulness of wealth, and just the care for other things. And amen, there are other areas of my life that are, in fact, by God's grace, in God's eyes, good soil. I want to do a quick exercise here. I want to do an exercise. Pull out a piece of paper. Pull out a piece of paper. And we're going to take a couple minutes here. Again, using the Bible as a mirror. I want us to be honest with ourselves. 
I'm going to ask three very basic questions. Spiritually. Again, not the money that's in your bank account. Not the grades even that you have for school. Spiritually. Question number one. And I want you to be honest. Nobody's going to look at this. All right? We're not going to turn this into the offering plate and use this as blackmail against you. right? This is, this is for you and this is for God. I pray that it compels you, though, this little exercise, this spiritual practice, compels you to take this and be open like Jojo with one of the other disciples in the room and ask for help. Question number one, and be honest, I'll give you a couple moments here. Concerning and in light of this parable, in what ways have you been spiritually fruitful in your life? Write it down. In what ways? No one's going to look at this. In what ways have you been spiritually fruitful in your life? In what ways have you been spiritually fruitful in your life? I encourage you guys to, to continue in this list as you go home today throughout the week. But just to move on, because you kind of get the point of this. Question number two. In what ways have you not been spiritually fruitful in your life? What are things that you know God wants you to do that you just simply haven't been doing? In what ways are you not spiritually fruitful in your life? In what ways have you not been spiritually fruitful in your life? Now I want you to pause. After all that we've talked about this morning, honest to God, honest with yourself, which soil best describes which soil best describes you? Let us together consider our ways today. Which soil best describes you? Are you just hard? Like you know there's a Bible, you know there's a God, but you just haven't given them the, given them the time of day. You just don't want to do it. Are you shallow? You started things spiritually, but then you, 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 you quit as much as you start. Like you just, you go and then you quit, and then you go and you quit when it gets hard. Are you shallow in your faith? Are you choked out in your life? Are you in the church? Are you a disciple? But then all of a sudden, you stop producing things in your life and you're more consumed with your bank accounts, with your uh, marks in school, with your families, with your marriages. This, these things, these other things have choked you out. Or are you genuinely, would you say that the best soil to describe you is the good soil? Which is an option. That's where Jesus wants us to be. But would that honestly describe you? And I'll give you guys a hint. If you can't explain where you are, it's because you're not on good soil. If you don't know how you've been fruitful, it's because you haven't been fruitful. If you can't understand this lesson, how will you understand any other one? I pray that today, guys, we can take to heart this parable of all parables. If you're a disciple this morning and you've chosen to make Jesus, to actually make him, not say it, but make Jesus Lord of your life, I want you to consider your ways and really soften, deepen, trim out the soil of your heart, so that you can be a good soil in every area of your life without fail. And maybe you're not a disciple this morning, or maybe you're visiting here for the first time. I want to challenge you to consider your ways, to deepen your faith, to soften your heart, to trim out whatever in your life, those other things that are keeping you from studying the Bible with somebody who brought you on out, to keep you from repenting and actually doing for the first time maybe in your life 
all that Jesus wants you to do. I pray that you've been inspired this morning, motivated to do something crazy, something that 99.9% of all human beings never do. Look like Jesus. I pray that you've enjoyed this lesson, but more importantly, that you enjoy putting this lesson into practice, loving Jesus truly and obeying his commands. I love you guys very dearly. Thank you for letting me share. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. service, Jojo's, you know, like, I, I, I could sense or feel, like, the, the, a mix of fear and shyness, but uh, you were so vulnerable and, and, and open, and, uh, you know, uh, this is where it all starts, you know, being real with oneself, being courageous to be real, because it's hard to be real, you know, it, it, it's hard to be real with one's heart, one's life, one's sin. It's hard to say, I, I, I failed. It's hard to say, I'm not there at all. It's hard to say, I need help. But you know, like you displayed this heart this morning. Thank you so much for sharing your heart and your faith with us, Jojo. That was awesome. Thank you. Dylan is a is a young is is a young newly baptized disciple. Isn't he amazing? Jojo, Jojo, when were you baptized? March 2019. March 2019. So, oh my goodness! So it's gonna be two years in March of next year. That's awesome. That's awesome. Dylan, when were you baptized? still a baby, eh? Yeah. With all your teeth, that's kind of weird. <laughs> but it, you are such an inspiration for me. You're like, just for you to understand, I was baptized 22 years ago. And you know, I'm 52 years old. And it is so refreshing for my heart to be exposed to the heart of young souls who come in the light because it reminds me, of, obviously, of my own salvation. But it reminds me also what, what I can so easily lose as a, as a spiritual man. And you know, like this soil thing is something that we go through all the time as, you know, we grow older because, you know, our hearts are constantly in a battle. We are constantly seeking to purify and, and, and trim our hearts because the world is crazy. And it is so easy to fall in any of those traps, isn't it? I mean, this is reality, you know. Um, thank you, Dylan, for sharing this. Uh, and you know, like, I, I can totally identify with you. When I studied the Bible in 1998, I just left the practice as a criminal lawyer, and I went to do my master in political science, political philosophy. I was looking for answers, and though I was an atheist, you know, like, I tasted the world fully. Money, women, drugs, traveling, fun, partying. You know, like, in the same year, I was practicing law, coaching tennis, working as a doorman in a bar, you know, like, I, I, I was living a crazy life. And it was the total emptiness. I had everything, but I had nothing. So, you know, hearing this from you again reminds me of where I come from. And the fact that the world has nothing to offer long-lasting. Nothing. All this is like, it's going through the fingers of our hands, and it's fleeting. It's alluring, but it's so... Fleeting. Um, I'm 52. I'm closer to my tomb than most of you. <laughs> Come on, bro. And uh, you know, like you, 
you always, you always see those, you know, those things on tombstones, those nice words. A lot of times, you know, it has nothing to do with reality. Yeah. It's wishful thinking. Yeah. The souls are, you know, like in the place where all the dead go. They are waiting, you know, for the resurrection. They know that they are going to hell. And uh, there's so many nice words on their tombstone. I've seen tombstones like this for the whole summer. I was going in a graveyard, you know, to meditate every morning very early. And I was seeing myself there one day. And I was thinking that I would like some meaningful words to be written on my tombstone, but words that I actually lived. That's right. Words that would be the complete reflection of my journey on earth. It is a high call. But it is said to most of the people who are at the end of their lives, when they're asked, what would you do differently? Two things come all the time. They say, I would love more, and I would take more risks. I would take more risks. And if you're visiting today, no, I'm calling you to do this. I'm calling you to risk for Jesus. And see for yourself what's in there because this will change your destiny. I promise you this. It is the most amazing journey ever. On June 21st, 1998, at 4.30 p.m., I was baptized for the forgiveness of my sins. I received the Holy Spirit. And I've been living with God now for 22 years. I'm a teacher. I work in a high school. I have, you know, like a lot of things that a man of my age could desire. But at the end of the day, the greatest treasure that I have is God and my friends in the kingdom. And this is what I heard about the next And Kevin, you know, like I want to commend you for uh, your, the example of your life and seeking to put this in practice. I know that these questions are always on your heart. And this is why they are powerful in your mouth for this, because you know this is the test for your own life. And you take this to heart. And I want to encourage, especially all the younger disciples, those who have been you know, like baptized you know, like, uh, recently, to continue to imitate the faith of your fathers and the faith like Kevin. To continue to imitate the faith of those who have been studying the Bible with you, because they are truly seeking to imitate and to follow into Jesus' footsteps. Amen? Amen? So thank you everyone for being there with us today. I hope you enjoy your time with us. It was indeed a great time. In a, in a minute or two after we sing, you know, we will you know, share a great lunch together. We will let the ladies go first, then the men, then Tim. <laughs> we'll you know, like eat the crumbs because he is, he is indeed the most spiritual among us. <laughs> So let's stand up and pray, and then we will sing a last one before eating together. Let's pray. Let's pray. Uh, dear God, uh, what an incredible, incredible morning. Uh, what a joy to be together and to have uh, this week uh, start with you uh, at the forefront of our minds and our hearts. Father, as we know, God, that we are in a great battle. Uh, more than ever, with everything that is going on in our society, uh, we are invited to consider the things that last, that are meaningful, that will never be removed from our hearts and from our lives. And the answer to that is you. It's your word. It's Jesus and the incredible promise of eternity. It is the fellowship of the saints in the light as we are calling each other to uh, follow Jesus and to help each other to make it to the end. And uh, 
I pray, God, that you continue to strengthen us. You come to our rescue. You help us, Father, to be open with our lives, to be real, to be honest with our sins, with our temptations, with our struggles. And I pray, God, that you help us to obey your word as we continue to share the good news in this lost world. Thank you so much, Father, for Jojo, for Dylan, for Kevin, for uh, all those who have led us today. I pray, God, that you strengthen all the ministries. I pray also that you are with the Marys, with Evan and Kelly who lead us. I pray, God, that your spirit continues empowers all those who are leading ministries, Isaiah and uh, Deshara, obviously. Uh, I pray, God, that you strengthen Kevin and Brittany. They are so amazing. And please uh, be also with our dear Tony. Uh, and Vida, yes. who are our dear shepherds in the faith. Father, we love them so much. Yes. We love you so much. We thank you for the food. We thank you for everything that comes with this life. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right, let's sing a love song. Tim is going to lead us. Amen, guys. So, guys, we're going to be singing song 422.